Well, good morning and welcome to the Mill Church, both those of you who are here in person and those of you who are joining us online. We're glad you're here today. If you would kindly uh, fill out a welcome card, if we don't have a welcome card from your family, we would appreciate that if this is your first or second time, third time here. It just helps us get to know you a little better. And uh, if you'd oblige, that would make us very happy. It always does to get a new welcome card. Right, Leslie? My admin assistant is saying, yes, it does. So awesome. Well, hey, this is the year of 52 stories. And every week we're having a different attender at the Mill Church share a story of God's faithfulness. Today's story is going to be shared by Marshall Lehman. Would you give Marshall a warm welcome this morning as he comes to share his story? Thank you, buddy. Yeah. Well, good morning, Mill Church. Yeah. Um, so, yes, like Zach said, uh, my name is Marshall Lehman, and this is my faith story. So... I uh, grew up in a Christian home, um, grateful to my parents uh, to raise me that way, and, and you know, you could grow up in a home like that, or you, can, you could have not done that, and maybe you just are getting to know God now, but either way, you're going to have roadblocks, you're going to have things you have to manage around, and, you know, I, I had to do that when I was in high school, and I talked to some of the kids in, during uh, um, FCA stuff once in a while when I show up to that, and and, and get to college, it gets even harder. You know, you got to see things that, like, live in a small town. I grew up in Edgar, and you get to college, you see a lot of things that you never thought even was around, and, and you got to manage through that. And one thing I learned from my parents is you got to have faith in God, and you got to pray through things, and you got to figure out how to manage it. The only way you can do that sometimes is to kneel down and just pray um, and find out how am I going to get through this, how am I going to deal with it, and... That's what I did, and he was faithful through, through college for me, and I, one of the things I, through college and even through my first couple of years when I lived up in Bruce, Wisconsin as a, as a teacher, um, pretty dead place, I would say. There's not a lot of stuff that goes on up there, uh, way up north, but was, am I ever going to find, you know, the perfect mate, somebody to marry, someone who's going to help me through my faith and guide me and have that same faith that I have? And that was the thing that I really struggled with was, you know, working through that um, as one of the many things that I had to pray about. And, and when I was up there, you know, I student taught actually in Stratford, and I didn't know what I was going to be doing. And crazy thing, when I was praying, I wasn't really, wasn't really you know, finding the, the right um, young lady for me. And randomly, the tech ed teacher that I taught uh, with, um, Larry Peterson, he uh, showed up at my workplace up in Bruce, and he said, I'm retiring, and I really want you to come back here to Stratford. And I was like, you know, I've been praying about what, what direction I'm going to go. God, is this, a, is this something you're pretty much throwing in my face? Because it took me a lot to believe in, in deciding things. I, I have another brother of mine who can't decide anything. Uh, we make fun of him all the time. But, you know, I'm not the greatest at that either. But, you know, I was like, you know, maybe God just threw that in my face. You know, uh, Larry Peterson had to stand up and f right, come up to my, my uh, place of employment and tell me, hey, I want you to come back. And, and that's kind of where it started. And I'm like, you know, is, is this what God wants? And started kind of deciding maybe I wanted to do that. I, I had attended the Mill Church. My family had come here, but I was living up in Bruce. And 
And then all of a sudden, Zach decides he's going to contact me. I'm like, Zach, why are you talking to me here about something? And he's like, there's this young lady that I've been um, getting to meet at church, and I think she's somebody you should talk to. So I'm like, all right. You know, maybe now I got, I got Larry Peterson at my doorstep telling me to come to Stratford. Then I got the pastor telling me that maybe I should, I should, you know, come back to this area. And I'm like, you know, God, I'll continue to pray. Um, maybe this is the right direction. I still wasn't listening. It took my, my uh, wife now uh, to actually reach out to me because I couldn't reach out to her. Uh, to reach out to me and say, hey, you know, this is who I am. Pastor Zach told me about you. Maybe we should, you know, meet up. And I said, you know, I think it's time I come back to Stratford. You know, I'm getting signs left and right, and I, I uh, decided to apply to Stratford, and I got the uh, gracious, um, you know, to God. I got hired in Stratford, and I've been here for, for uh, 10 years now. But I came back, and I, I come, to the, come to the mill church and um, waiting for this, this girl to show up that she's going to be coming. And um, I go through the whole service. She's still not there. I'm like, okay, God, is she showing up? Well, she came to the second service. And we got to talk for a little bit, and I said to her, you know, I'm kind of a sports guy, and I, I play softball for the Mill Church. Um, would you want to come watch me play? And so that was kind of where our conversation went, and she decided to show up and watch. And so I get to the game, and I notice her there, and I'm getting the jitters playing the game. I, I, this, this beautiful girl's watching me. You know, I've got to do well. I think I might have hit a home run or two or three. I don't know what it was. But, you know... <laughs> I'm all excited, and the game gets over, and I walk up to her, and I'm like, you know, do you see my game? She goes, what do you mean? You didn't hit a home run. I'm like, well, I think I did. You know, I, weren't you watching? She goes, well, actually, I was watching your brother read. I thought he was you. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like okay, God, maybe, maybe you weren't showing me what I was supposed to be doing. Am I actually supposed to be back here or not? But, you know, um, jokes aside, we got to talking, got to hanging out, and, and when you meet somebody... And a lot of your conversations are about God, and you, you read the Bible together, um, you know, and you have the pastor who you can talk to about what you're going through with that, and he's the one who hooked us up in the first place. It showed me that God is faithful, and he, he pointed me in the right direction. He pointed me to the right person. Um, you know, we had things we had to work out. You know, did we want to have kids? I wanted them. She didn't. Um, was, was that going to be a deal breaker for us? And you know, I kept praying to God, if we're meeting like this, this must, must mean that we're supposed to be together. And I, we prayed and prayed and prayed, and we got married, and Zach married us. It was a great day. Um, we'll never forget it. And we got pregnant, and this is where, obviously, you know, things just don't always go the way you want. And you can say why to God each and every day, but we had our, our first um, pregnancy was an ectopic pregnancy, and we lost our baby. And it was like, you know... You could sit there, and we, people talk about this, but you go through a lot of stuff, and you say, why, why, why? Like, why did that happen? And that, that's just not who I am. I'm not going to do that. I continue to pray to God. He's got a direction for us, and which would have been before our baby first child would have been born, we got pregnant with our second. And we ended up having a beautiful girl, Paisley, that that little girl wants to pray every day. She talks about praying for others. And it just tells me right away, you know, that sometimes... <laughs> You don't know what direction God has for you, but you continue to trust in him. You bow down, you go on your knees, and you pray, and he's got a plan. He's got a plan for you. And I actually read a, you know, this is kind of the end of my story, but I watched a movie today, this week, um, called I Still Believe. I don't know if anybody saw it or not. It's uh, the story of Jeremy Camp, um, his life story, um, true story of, of what he had to deal with, and he's a Christian singer. 
um, for those that know him. And uh, it's just, I still believe. Whatever you're going through, whatever it is, we all have different things that we're going through now, different things that we're going to go through, or we did go through, but trust in, the God, trust in God, have faith, and he's got a plan. And again, I'm Marshall Lehman, and that's my story. Thanks, man. Appreciate you sharing. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, Marshall. And uh, we appreciate that story. Are you going to tell us which brother has such a difficult time making decisions? Che? Okay. All right. Thanks. I was hoping to learn that so I can give him a hard time as well. All right. Well, open your Bibles, if you will, everybody, to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. Verse 15, if you don't have your Bible with you, it'll be on the screen behind me. While you're turning there, I just want to remind you that we have, if you haven't seen this in your announcements, a business meeting at the church uh, this coming, not this coming, excuse me, but Sunday, February the 27th. So that would be three weeks from today. That is for our membership in terms of participation, but anybody can attend and observe. It's a pretty uh, standard uh, annual business meeting this year in that we're going to share with you the last year's church budget, where we fell on that, this upcoming year's budget, where we're going with visionary ideas for the Mill Church. And specifically, what I'm excited about is we're going to be giving you an update on where the pastoral search is right now uh, for June 1. So uh, we'd love for you to come, and uh, we'll bring you into the loop on how that is progressing uh, so that everybody stays on the same page and knows how to pray as we continue to uh, seek God's will for the next leader for the Mill Church. So... We're in a study in the book of Colossians, and the Apostle Paul is a pastor to pastors. He is writing from prison to a newly planted church. Imagine me getting thrown into prison in Stratford. Uh, I know that's hard to imagine because there is no prison in Stratford. Do we even have a jail cell in Stratford, one jail cell? Does anybody know? Can you know, right? Do we have a... No, I'm just teasing. <laughs> I don't know if we do or don't, but just imagine, just let your mind go there for a second, uh, being thrown into a jail cell in Stratford, me, uh, for preaching the gospel, and imagine me sending an encouraging letter to Andy and Stacy Ramos, who we prayed for on this stage several weeks ago, who are the pastors of a brand new church in the Arpen Bethel area called Bluff View. Uh, I've never been to that church on a Sunday morning. I haven't met all of their people in person, but I care about them. I care about Andy and Stacy. That is what Paul is doing to the church at Colossae. He's in prison. He has not been to the church, but he's praying for them. He's heard stories about what, is God, what God's doing there, and he sends them a communication. He sends them a letter. Yes, they had couriers. In the uh, day, for those of you who are unaware and who are attending this morning, a letter is like a really long text message. 
except you write it with a what's called a pencil. Okay, you familiar with one of these items? Uh, a pencil. And uh, so that's what a letter is. And, and, and you write it, of course, on a really thin piece of wood called, called paper. Um, some even use a, like a really fancy hieroglyphic called cursive. It's ancient. Ancient. Um, so I know this is deep this morning. So if, if you're taking notes in your note app on your phone, uh, don't forget what, what letters are, pens and paper. Are you guys awake this morning? That was the best jokes I've got for this morning. So if you didn't think that's funny, this is only going to get go downhill from here, okay? Um, Paul says the dead in Christ will rise first. I think that was referring to our 8.30 crowd. <laughs> right? I love you all, but uh, sometimes you're kind of a decaf bunch. So... Paul's going to answer the question, who is, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus today? And next week, we're going to get into a really dense part of this letter. Um, and this is only chapter 1 still. So please keep in mind, Paul was not a fan of Jesus before his conversion. He hated Christians, in fact. He was an Orthodox Jew. Uh, Paul sanctioned the death of Christians including Stephen, the very first Christian martyr. And then Paul has this experience with Jesus Christ where Jesus confronts him, radically so. Uh, Paul becomes a believer, and then he becomes a pastor, and eventually a pastor of pastors. And this benefited him nothing whatsoever. This didn't help Paul's uh, life. It cost him his reputation. In the Jewish community, it cost him his income, it cost him his freedom, it cost him his home. Not many people today uh, can say that they have been shipwrecked. The Apostle Paul was shipwrecked, he was snake bitten. Not many people can say they were snake bitten. Uh, he was beaten, not many people can say they were beaten. He was stoned, not many people can say that they were stoned. And he suffered greatly for his connection to Jesus Christ. Uh, <laughs> I was just thinking, my buddy Tim, my neighbor across the street when I was growing up, threw a rock and hit me in the head. So I actually have been stoned at one point in time, but not uh, to this degree. So Paul has no reason whatsoever uh, to tell us what's not true. Let me say that again. Paul has no reason no motivation whatsoever to tell us what's not true. Paul has no reason because it doesn't benefit him in any way. So if you're taking notes this morning, there's a few big truths that we're going to learn about Jesus. And I'm going to ask you please to stand with me. And we're going to read a few verses aloud beginning in verse 15. You guys ready? Let's read. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, 
and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. You may be seated. Here's the first truth about Jesus. Jesus is the image of God. Jesus is the image of God. Verse 15, He is the, we read it together, the image of the what? The invisible God. Well, what does that mean? Well, that means God, the Father, is spiritual. He is not flesh and bones like Jesus Christ who became flesh. God incarnate. Okay, God added to his divinity humanity. All right? Uh, so because God is invisible and is supernatural and immaterial and we can't see him, God the Father makes himself known through Jesus Christ the Son. The Father shows us in doing this what Jesus uh, is, or rather what the Father is like. Uh, the unseen God becomes seen through Jesus the unknown God becomes known through Jesus. Jesus said in John 14, 9, If you've seen me, you've seen who? The Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So we don't know who God is. And because we can't see him with our eyes, but in Jesus, uh, the, the visible uh, God, or rather the invisible God, becomes what? Visible. Oh, we can see him now. We can observe his life now, his work now, his, his personhood now, his interactions now. Jesus serves as a mirror, if you will, to see, to accurately depict the Father. Uh, I am 40. I am told that middle age for a male is roughly 40 to 60 years of age. So I cannot call myself young uh, anymore. And I wouldn't describe myself as, as super active right now by any stretch of the imagination, not like I was in my early 30s. And when I look in the mirror, 
it would appear as though my youthful physique has gone home to be with Jesus. Does anybody here agree that their youthful physique has gone home to be with the Lord? Okay, it's dead, it's gone, it's ascended, it's risen among the saints, right? So how many of you don't like looking in a mirror because it accurately depicts you? I mean, that's a harsh reality, right, for some of us. So Jesus accurately depicts the Father. See, so here's why that's important. People oftentimes wonder what God is like, and they go looking for his representation in nature, in a created world. And, and you can learn some things about God in his creation. That's for certain. That's for sure. By observing it, by watching nature. But wouldn't you agree that it's hard to conclude objectively that God is personal and that he loves us and that he's holy and that he sent the Father, his Son, Jesus, to die for us simply by watching the waves in the ocean, simply by seeing the lake, superior shoreline, uh, simply by observing a beautiful field of soybeans in the fall. It's hard to look at that field of soybeans and say, you know, Jesus died for me. Had you never heard the gospel, right? It's just too, uh, too objective a conclusion to come to, simply, solely by observing nature. So we can learn what we need to know about God um, if we study the scripture and creation, we have this general rev revelation, theologians call it, in nature that can be observed. But for specific uh, revelation, we have to go to the scriptures. We have to read about Jesus' life. And so this is where uh, spirituality of all kinds tries to fill in the gaps. When it says, you know, nature doesn't quite give me enough information. So let's develop some speculation. Let's develop some philosophy, some sociology. Uh, you know, um, let's, uh, let, let's say here's what God might be like. Um, how many of you are glad we don't have to guess what God might be like? We can read the Bible. We can observe the life of Jesus. We know what God the Father is like by reading about his Son, so we don't need shrines, we don't need temples, we don't need icons, we don't need mediums to consult among between the living and, and the dead. We don't need spiritists, we, we don't need communication points between earth and heaven. Why? Because Jesus Christ himself is the connection point between earth and heaven. He's been there. He's done that. So everything we need to know about the Father, we can learn in the Son. So if you're confused this morning, philosophically, spiritually, I would say just study Jesus. Just study Jesus to learn about God the Father. Right now we're doing this amazing, for, for, for me it is at least, it's called the Harmony of the Gospels. And it's a, it's a devotion that 
a couple dozen of us are going through in the month of February where we're reading the different gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, their depiction of the life, personhood, work of Jesus Christ. And all of them have a similar account, but a little different. And it's just, it's just fascinating to me. And so I would encourage you, get to know Jesus if you want to get to know the Father. Um, secondly, so Jesus is the image of God. What did he say next, if we keep reading? He is the firstborn of all creation. He's the firstborn of all creation. Now, let me stop there. How many of you are firstborn in your family? Raise your hands. Firstborn. All right. Several of us. Um, see, when we hear the words firstborn, we tend to think, I was here first. I got the top bunk. You got the bottom bunk, sucker. Right? When we think of firstborn. But in the Bible, it can mean that. But it can also mean first in position. First in position. Now, just because you're firstborn, does that make you first in position? Think of, think of the military. Is the, is the person in authority over a platoon of troops always the firstborn or the oldest among everyone? Not necessarily. Not necessarily. So uh, what Jesus is, what Paul is saying about Jesus is, is not that he's firstborn of creation, because let's face it, who is firstborn of creation? Adam and Eve. Jesus came long before Adam and Eve, but he wasn't the firstborn of creation. Abraham came before Jesus. Isaac came before Jesus. Uh, Jacob came before Jesus. Mary and Joseph came before Jesus. But he was certainly the firstborn in terms of authority. What does that mean as Christians? That means Jesus comes first in our relationships. Jesus comes first in our identity. Jesus comes first in our family. Jesus comes first with our finances. Jesus comes first with our businesses. Paul is putting the issue of who Jesus is front and center. So nothing gets straightened out, Paul says, unless Jesus has the highest place of authority in your life. He's saying Jesus is like our compass. If you are a hunter, if you are a fisherman, if you're a hiker, and you like to go in remote places, um, if you're in a dense fog, if you're in the woods in the middle of the night, it can be very easy, especially if there are different lines and it's not just an open 40 acres with a field on every side. I mean, if it can become disorienting. You can get lost in a real hurry. One time John Dinfeld drove me to the Marshfield uh, Marsh, the Marshfield Marsh, whatever that's called, the Marsh, uh, north of Marshfield, and dropped me off with a tree stand and a bow and said, good luck. Walked out of the woods, walked way deep, you know, in, and then walked out. And I'm thinking, I don't know if I want to stay till dark. I'm not sure I'll find my way out of here. So we can become disoriented, and, and Paul's saying Jesus is like our, our, comp, our compass, and once true north is decided, once we decide that true north is Jesus, it informs what direction we want to go. So early in the book, Paul is establishing for the Christian life that north is Jesus. 
And he's establishing who Jesus is. You can figure out what to do when you're sinned against if you know that north is Jesus. Because you take Jesus at his word when he says, forgive your enemies. Holy smokes. That's hard, is it not? Jesus says anybody can be nice to their friends. Anybody can serve people who have served you. If you want it to obey me, be kind to those, forgive those who have persecuted you. Oh, wow. Oh, so that's what God the Father is like. And you start to think about it. Well, he kind of did forgive someone that has rebelled and been obstinate and disobedient in me. Before I trusted in him. So, gosh, how do you, should we or shouldn't we give to the poor? Well, Jesus said, the mirror reflection of God, Jesus said, give your coat and your shirt, <laughs> your cloak and your tunic, too. How do we raise all these crazy kids? Well, let's see what the Bible says. How do I go to work without killing my boss? Well, gosh, let's see what the Bible says. Let's see what Jesus has to say. He's the reflection of the Father. How does Jesus operate? See, uh, point number three. Jesus is the creator of all. Jesus is the creator of all. Everyone asked the question, and Marshall talked about the university, specifically in the university, and if you don't solve this by the time you graduate in your heart and mind, you will absolutely be challenged. But where did creation come from? And the popularized answer is that it came from nothing. From nothing. Now, I'm okay with creation coming from nothing as long as we posit that God was behind it coming from nothing. But I don't know about you, Nothing doesn't create a whole lot in my world. I mean, if I go home and I lay on my couch and take a nap, which is something that I'm prone to do near every Sunday afternoon, because I'm exhausted, I look at my couch and I don't think, oh, nothing must have made that couch. No, who made that couch? A furniture manufacturer. And I look at my car and I say, I don't say, oh, this car must have came out of nowhere, from nothing. I look at it and say, that was made by somebody in Detroit, right? Or Japan, or you name it. Nothing, nothing has not made a whole lot in my experience, right? So I think it's a hard thing to posit that everything came from nothing. When we look at the world, we don't see a blind watchmaker, as it was called in a book from the 80s or 90s by, I think, Carl Sagan. We see a design. That's what we see. And, and there's a designer behind every design. Louis Giglio, pastor of Passion Church in Atlanta, Georgia, has preached innumerable sermons on this. Louis Giglio, YouTube, you, Louis Giglio, fantastic. Talking about science and creation and what 
we've discovered and connecting it to God. And he wrote this devotional book for kids called The Wonder of Creation. It has five stars on Amazon.com for you parents who love to, to know how many stars something has. It has five of them. Five stars. Okay? Hundreds of reviews. Great for your kids if you have like 10, I would say, to 12 years old, 8 to 14, somewhere in that range. Um, really good book. So there are so many people who love the gift of creation. I have known that's, that's pretty, uh, you know, thorough Christian or pagan. People love to hike. People love to kayak. People love to hunt. People love to, to fish. Um, but I'll tell you that so many people love the gift of nature without knowing the giver. That's what's sad. They love the gift. They love the gift, but they don't know that there is a giver who gave it. And God wants us to both enjoy his gift and acknowledge that he's the giver. Verse 16, for by him, who's Paul talking about? Jesus. For by him, all things were what? Create, so did it come from nothing? Not according to the Bible. It came from Jesus. Through his power. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth. The visible and the what? And the invisible. Did you know most of the ocean's depth we have yet to explore? Not even close. I saw a fascinating graphic visual video thing that puts the tallest buildings in the world. It's like you're zooming from shallow to deep ocean depth. And you're moving. Has anybody seen this? From the Eiffel Tower to something taller to the Taj Mahal or what, whatever. These big, the Burfa Khalifa or whatever in India. All of these big buildings. And then it keeps zooming out, and it keeps zooming out, and it keeps zooming out to the depths of what we've discovered in marine biology. And, then it and you see that that's like not even a third of the depth of the ocean. It's crazy. It's mind-blowing. I mean, that's just on Earth. Scientists say the universe is what? It's expanding. That's how vast God's creation is. So by him, Paul's talking about Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Jesus and for who? And for Jesus, for his pleasure, for his enjoyment. Paul is trying to get us to understand that Jesus created all that we see and touch. And Jesus created all that we do not see and do not touch. In central Wisconsin, we have the most beautiful sunsets. I'm convinced. I'm a big fan. Incredible sunsets. And um, we have a, a mountain called Rib. Have you ever heard of it? Rib Mountain? Um, I use that word loosely, the word, the word mountain. It, in my mind, I didn't name it, but I would have called it like rib, itty-bitty hill. If 
but somebody decided it should have the name Rib Mount. How many of you know if you can hike to the top of something in 45 minutes and with no water, it ain't a mountain, okay? It's, it's not a mountain. But we call it Rib Mountain, but it's still beautiful in the fall. It's just stunning, and the soil we have here, it's just so rich, and the water is clean, except in the flowage, where it's green. Um, but most years, it's clean. It's great. And what's your point, Pastor? My point is that the world is unbelievable and glorious and gorgeous. And God made the colors and God made the hues and God made the brilliance and the contrast and the life and the shape including our physical bodies, which we do things with and create and work with our hands and play with our legs, chase balls around, contacts. Well, all of that is a gift from God. And God gave us the invisible and immaterial too. Paul reminds us, hey, our emotions are a gift from God. They're under Jesus. The angels are under Jesus. The fallen angels, the demons, are under Jesus. He's the creator of it all. It belongs to Him. And it will give an account to Him. In fact, everyone in the history of creation, material and immaterial, including all angels and demons, will one day stand before a throne and on that throne will be seated Jesus Christ and we will all, along with the angels and demons, give an account. That includes me, that includes you, sir, you, ma'am. You do not get to live an independent, autonomous life without answering for it. That is a myth that our culture teaches. You will stand before a throne one day and on that throne again will be seated Jesus. So you come from God and you will return to God and answer to God and anything outside of that is delusional. It is an illusion it is fictitious. There's even a new country song about this. It's called, Everybody Talks to God. By Aaron Lewis. Nate, your father sent me the link. I know it exists. I listened to it. I watched it on YouTube. I'll read you a few of the lyrics. He was saying grace over a Tuesday blue plate special. When the man in the next booth said... Don't you watch TV? Don't you know that God's a myth? I hate to see you waste your breath. Because there ain't no use talking to a ghost that don't exist. The praying man said, Amen, and looked up from his plate and said, You may not talk to God right now, but there's going to come a day. And this is the chorus. Because whether you're a farmer in the field praying for rain, 
or you curse him at the gravesite because he called a loved one's name. You can thank him. You can blame him. Either way, you're going to face him, whether you believe in him or not, because in the end, everyone talks to God. The man in the booth went quiet because he didn't have a comeback. So he shrugged it off and paid his tab and shuffled out the door. And the praying man, he prayed for the man who drove away, hoping he would see the light before it got too late. But how was he to know he touched a non-believer's soul who got that conversation with God to red lights down the road? Because whether you're a farmer in the field praying for the rain or curse him at the gravesite because he called a loved one's name and you can thank him, you can blame him, either way you're going to face him, whether you believe in him or not, because in the end, everybody talks to God. You do not live an independent, autonomous life you will give an account to God. And I, I, I want to rob you, if I may, of any other delusion so that you can meet Jesus and know that you were created by him and know that you were created for him and know that you were created to be in a relationship with him. This is why we plant churches. We want people to know Jesus, to love Jesus, to say yes to Jesus, to reject what the world is holistically offering. Would you bow your head? Anybody here say it? I'd like to, to meet Jesus now before I meet him later. I just love to become a Christian. Love to meet with God now. To develop a relationship with Him, a friendship with Him. If that's you and you would say that for the first time today, would you just look up and, and lock eyes with me so I know who you are? Anybody here today want to devote your life to Jesus just like the lady? was redeemed by the judge so that God would redeem you, not hold you accountable for your sins. Well, Heavenly Father, I thank you that it would seem that everyone here acknowledges you now and bows now. How celebratory, how wonderful that this room is filled with people who will inherit heaven and Lord, I pray as uh, it would seem that they, that we are all people of faith in here together, that you would compel us to a greater degree of sacrifice and mission on your behalf. Lord, that I, our lives would, would be structured in such a way that true north is you. In Jesus' name, amen.